0: Hi, if I could take a moment of your time before we start. If you've enjoyed previous episodes or if you enjoy this episode, if you could subscribe on the platform that you listen to, that would be really helpful. It helps us get more guests and push the podcast forward. Thanks. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more
1: and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365 day returns.
0: Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news?
1: hi i'm
0: sam and on the podcast today we have rob wilson now that is a name you've probably not heard of but if you hang around in the most sports scene long enough you will definitely come across him he is the driver coach for the stars formula one drivers he's had something like 70 formula one drivers and WEC, and, and, and all of the rest and he's the person that if you're a multiple <laughs> Winning champion, or you're not just nearly there in F1, you give him a call and he will come and hone your technique, which kind of sounds kind of crazy in itself, doesn't it? Really, but we have a good chat about all of this, so enjoy. Can you tell the audience uh, a little bit about sort of short summary of who you are and what you do? Well, these days, probably in the um, last 30
2: since the end of the 1980s, really, I train racing drivers. Um, up I raced cars for close on forty years from the, the um early seventies through to about ten or twelve years ago. Uh nothing too grand, but just made a living doing it. Yeah. That. And um but concurrently, um, towards the end of the nineteen eighties we started training racing drivers, which was different to Racing school stuff. So in the seventies, you would instruct at racing schools, okay. Thruxton and things like that. Um, but that's different. It was a matter of um, starting realizing that drivers, even though they're on the cusp of Formula One, uh, winning in Formula Three and such like, where people assumed they were light bulbs. You know, you just plug them in and they're yeah, yeah. yeah. And re, uh, I would test some of those cars, even though I wasn't racing Formula Three by then. Um, and you'd go a little bit quicker than some of them. And you would notice something about their driving and think, you know, why don't we, Why uh, are we not getting on the throttle a bit too soon here? Are we not rushing into the corners a little bit too much? This would be while you're watching them at testing at Silverstone or something. And um, so we'd try one or two little things that go a bit faster. And that's what triggered the driver training thing. So let's, let's get a road car and um, get a good word. And, um, sit there with them. I'll do a couple of laps. Sit beside them. And then say, there's a little bit of time missing here. What is it? And it began with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you can see, yeah, it's the way you turn the wheel, the way you go on the brakes, the way you decrease the brakes. It became
0: it became a bit of an obsession mm-hmm.
2: to do that.
0: And, okay, so let's let's sort of wind back a little bit. How did you, how did you get into racing? Oh, um... Well, I, I was born in New Zealand, but I decided
2: I wanted to start in England because I didn't want to do well in New Zealand to start with and then find <laughs> you arrive in England and you're, you know, you're 21st or something. Yeah. I wanted to find out where you, because I'd watched the Tasman series, which was great in New Zealand, but the what we'd call the international drivers would come out or even New Zealanders that had spent some years in Europe would come out and there would just be so much Case Harden, Bruce McLaren, Chris yeah. Amon, Denny Holm. Um, these people, and whereas those who had stayed in New Zealand, you know, were going more for New Zealand titles, and there was a difference. So I thought, let's, so I saved up the money, got on an aeroplane, um, uh, it's to be 50 years ago, and dropped into uh, Heathrow. Uh, and then you thought, well, how, how do you start? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that took a couple of years because I thought, well, you know, you, you did need to earn money or do something. And so nothing much was happening except uh, an advertisement cropped up in Autosport magazine for a win, a prize, half a dozen f- Formula Ford races if you won this contest at Goodwood, okay. which is about 500 people turned up over about six months driving Formula Fords. And I won that. Oh, and nice. I, and uh, Derek Bell was a, an instructor, plus David Purley, who was a, a, a cohort of, of Derek Bell's, very good driver, I passed away, in an aeroplane, an aeroplane incident. But they were good drivers and they were the instructors down there. And um, so I won this. Got half a dozen Formula Ford races. Nice. And then a friend from New Zealand was over and said, oh, uh, why don't we get a Formula Ford and we'll take it back and do the New Zealand series. Yeah. This end of 75, 77. So we did that. Went okay. Came second in the championship. Came back to England. More Formula Ford. And uh, then it just, you know, it did okay. And it uh, jumped into Ford 2000, Formula Four 2000, which is the next one up. And that went okay and got a win or two. And then into Formula 3. And I got a win or two there and, you know, it was, it was okay. Uh, but it was all fairly threadbare, but we yeah. still,
0: you know, still did okay. And got- were you having to, how did you get the drive, like when you move up to like Formula 3, do you, did a team approach you previously and then were like, come try for us so how, did,
2: how Yeah well there was um I fell into um some sponsorship it wasn't a lot but there was a New Zealander called Sir Tom Clark who uh used to back the around uh, uh, the America's Cup efforts mm. from New Zealand he he was a great racing driver back in the 50s and and he had backed a couple of New Zealanders coming over here. so he put a few thousand nice. pounds into it and then a computer company called ICL along the road here, well, near Putney, they were based there. And um, they came along with some marketing budget. So, we, you know, we got about £15,000 together. And um, and then I'd talk to Ron Turanac, who, who had designed the Brabham's that won the world championship for Jack Brabham and Denny Holm, but had formed a company called RALT, R-A-L-T, down in Woking. And, um, and he, um, so... I would go down there. He supplied a chassis. We got you could got deals from everyone, you know. He, in those days, you know, I need brake pads from here, so we put a sticker there. I mean, yeah, need yeah, a, yeah. A Fuel from there and you know, bits and pieces. So we got this deal together. So came fourth in the British Formula Three Championship, and you know, with, nice. with Nelson Piquet second, and um, and you could do it with a bunch of Kiwis and people helping out and so on. So. We were we were on an economy class ticket, but we got some proper results, and I yeah, that's ended up with my super license of Formula One. I won some races or two, you know. But and we would get cash from winning a European Championship race. You got they got the money. Um, you'd finish the race, and you'd go, and it would be the FIA F3, uh, and they would give you cash at the signing on counter. Nice. Well, if you won or came second or. Third. <laughs> Um, and BP would sponsor it and you'd get, I think, something like five or ten pounds a lap that you led. So the one to lead was at oh, Mallory okay. Park because it would be like a 50-lap race. <laughs> 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 and uh, these, these things kept it going, you know, and um, now people, they need millions, you know, yeah. to even do it. But we would, we just did it. We learned our craft because you'd be rolling around. Rory Byrne was building Royales. He was around. Helping, and, and um, he's still very senior at Ferrari um, as a d- designer in charge of things. And um, Patrick had was building Ford 2000s, Delta's. Yeah. So he'd been there, Adrian Rayner. Um, People uh, who were learning their craft. A lot of that stuff doesn't exist anymore because they were designers learning to be designers and engineers learning yeah. to be engineers. And It wasn't a one-make series, like everything's a Dallara now or a... Yeah, yeah. Miguel, Miguel or something. That's 300 people on a team. <laughs> yeah, try, right, yeah. But, you know, you sat there thinking, I wonder if we did this, if we did that, we did the other. And, you know, occasionally wings would fall off.
3: and
2: <laughs> yeah, But you learned. And, um, and a lot of those people were still running motor racing later on. Yeah. You know, they're still they're senior people. I mean, they're all passing away now and, and stopping. But but um, it was a golden period for, for engineers and you know, drivers and, you know, and you were always, people talk about these accidents they have now, you were always relieved to on Monday morning or Monday night to be watching Coronation Street on TV because you knew you'd survived the weekend,
0: you know, yeah. you, you were there, it really wasn't a real thing. What was the, was there like a particular car that you were like, that was really hairy to drive or was it more of like, it just is because they're all a bit sketchy? Oh, there were was, was some frightening cars.
2: This one, I was trying to qualify at Indy uh, probably 30 years ago, and um, it vibrated so much uh, that you'd come out of turn four to see the guy with the, the flag, and um, you couldn't see him by the time you got there because the vibrations were so much that the helmet was twisting to the left. I was like, and you had to slow down for turn one, which you sort of had to anyway because they're quite powerful, they didn't handle very well. Um, and um, in order to see what you'd call an apex, it was, <laughs> yeah, and you're lapping at 36 seconds, two and a half miles. And, uh, and that, uh, and it stepped out of line at one point, and I got away with it. You know, you'd never really normally get away with it. That was a worrying car, and it broke down during qualifying on the fourth lap. It was going fast enough to be in the field. And uh, AJ Foyt was there, he was in the garage next. he been there for a few weeks. And he said, that saved your life. That car breaking down saved your life. So, so that was a very frightening car. You they, they then gave me a drive in his car, on what they call carburetion Wednesday, um, there. And it was suddenly it was like eight mile an hour quicker. It was was instead of lapping at two hundred and eighteen, it would and frightening the life out of you. It would lap at two twenty five, and it was stable. It yeah. was so good, yeah. And um, so, uh, so that car was a bit of a worry, um, but uh, that was because it had a fault, not because of an indie car. You know, it can't be really nice. Yeah. Uh, or an oval can't be really nice. So, no, the, but most of the cars were, you know, experimental. We went through the phase of everything was treaded tyres and then wings turned up and then ground effect turned up and yeah, that, skirts with ground effects. Quite a you know,
0: transition.
2: And it, um, uh, so we pretty much went through all of it um, as it was developing. Um, and cars became better. Drive. They didn't break down quite as much. They they did still quite a bit. I, I never left the the pits at uh, on these Bathurst twelve hours or the Nurburgring twenty four hours without my mobile phone. I suppose you should leave there, and without a pack of cigarettes. <laughs> yeah, because because you could be in the wilds of somewhere at two o'clock in the morning. Yeah. No soul in sight. So it was always good to have the cigarettes and the phone because if the car broke down, sometimes there'd be electrics.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You couldn't radio the pets. Well, um, what's it like driving a, an oval at those sorts of speeds? If the car's good, it's nice.
2: But by and large, there's always something. Um, and um, more tough, I did this thing called Bush Ground National, which is the Vision 2 in NASCAR, I mean, Pontiac or Ford Thunderbird. And, um, or a Chevy Monte Carlo. And, um, and I did a lot of those. And a lot of the, what they'd call the Winston Cup drivers, would do it as well. So there'd be two divisions, but the big guys would also do the, the next level now. Okay, yeah. And that was tough um, because um, qualifying would be one lap or two laps at the most. And these guys have been driving around these tracks since they're 13, in the world of outlaws and this, that, and the other. And so, um, you'd get one lap because the qualifying was a tough lap, because you would do about a fifteen-minute session on the morning, and that'd be done by about nine thirty. Then all the cars would be lined, angle parked in the pits on the oval, and then you would—it's your turn to qualify, and each car qualifies independently. The number is taken out of a hat. Okay. So I think it might still be your number seven. Your number thirty-one. And um, the, uh, that car is sat there. It's frozen cold because <laughs> it's sat there since, you know, whenever it is. Yeah. And then you go, you leave the pits on brand new tyres and they are hard tyres because you're going to go a couple of hundred miles before you change them. So they're not like qualifying yeah. tyres. So they're made out of concrete. <laughs> uh, and then around you go, you misturn turn one because you're coming out of the pits. And then you're turn two over the back and you change from third to fourth going down the back straight. This is leading up to your qualifying lap. And um, it'll wheel spin still when you're going from third to fourth. <laughs> <laughs> and then this would be on a, on a circuit that you had to break for say one mile over. And so you're doing about 165 I don't hour in this two-ton thing that's like driving the spare room. And, <laughs> around. Uh, and then you would have to brake for the corner. The first time you touch the brakes, and you go flat out. And, of course, the brakes are cold. So you're <laughs> never quite sure. But it slows down. You've got to turn the car and then you've got to be on the throttle and the, the exit's way over there somewhere. And it's either understeering a bit or it's oversteering but It's neutral or something. But you can't see the exit and your foot's hard down. And you're going to exit that corner um, with more revs on the clock than you're going to do for the rest of the weekend because you're in your brand new tyres and that's one lap out there and then, boof, you start your lap and it's done and 25 seconds later, uh, it's over and <laughs> there would be, and when I was doing it, there was something like 65 cars going for 32 spaces. So I, right, yeah, it was so easy to qualify, like 22nd, 24th. In the race, uh I'd get going, I'd be all right. You know, you get settled in, and every time, uh, and a few races, and then just, you'd make the top, you to get into, say, after about 100 miles, I mean, you're 10th, you know, you, Yeah. you make the top 10. And uh, I did that a couple of times. And as soon as you did it, I'd get black flagged. <laughs> and my friends, who were, who were good friends, and still are, uh, who would be running the car, say, don't say anything. They're just testing your temperament. And th- there was this time at Nazareth in Pennsylvania. It's an oval. And um, sure enough, I get into 10th place, and, fly, 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 fly. and it's not a big oval. It's just under a mile, you know. So in there, under a green. NASCAR official comes up. I'm looking through the netting. Says to the crew chief, uh, seems to be a bit of smoke coming out uh, of the car. You know, yeah, 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 okay, so well, it wasn't, of course. Uh, can you lift the hood? Yeah, so Up goes the hood. Still, still under green and cars are going yeah. by. And I can see him looking around under the thing there and looking a bit more, more. Seems all right. Actually, seems all right. Yeah, I think you're all right. Down goes the thing. And off you go, you know, four laps down, <laughs> you know, with another 150 miles to go. And after the race... And the first time it happened, it happened a couple of times. Um, this NASCAR official came out and said, uh, you all right, Rob?
3: And I said, yeah, you,
2: uh, you're learning uh, how NASCAR works? And learning a lot. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh, that's good. And, and so and I've been told, don't say anything. You know, because yeah. they just, and so and the prize giving that year, so this would be sometime in the earliest, mid-90s, was in New York City. and And my friends who were behind me, who were also part of the NASCAR setup. heard a couple of uh, NASCAR officials talking on the other, one side of the room, going, hey, hey good how's that English guy? Because they, they wouldn't even know news, where New Zealand was. You yeah. know? was <laughs> this is way before any internet <laughs> or anything like that. And English guy, another guy said, oh, nicest guy you could meet. And he came back and said, you're in, it's okay, they like you. you know, <laughs> uh, But if they don't like you, they'll send you home. You That's know? mental. Oh, yeah, oh, it's their show. You know, it's their show. A lot of people make lots of money. It's their show. And, and I look back at with great affection. You know, we got to go and good with them. We're still friends with yeah. some of them. You know, the crew chief on my car, we're down in the Carolinas, about to go to Rockingham. And uh, the Rockingham that they've got in America. so an oval, mile oval. Jim Clark raced there and back in 60-something. Yeah. He did a NASCAR. And he's setting it up. And this is way before there was any internet. People, you know, you learn what you learn from... Case on newspaper columns, or something. yeah, and he's doing the brain. He says, "You know, you know, Rob, in NASCAR, if you're from the north, you're from the north. If you're from the south, you're from the south. If you're from California, well, you ain't really from anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> you ain't even from California." i said, "I guess you." <clears throat> he said, "I guess you're racing there because they don't really have that much racing in Europe, do they? You know, <laughs> go, not not like they got there and." But it was brutal. It was so competitive because I'd go to the Rockingham, and I mean, I forget what lap times was, but there'd be there was some superstar guys. A guy called Mark Martin, who was who was Ford number one, big Ford champion, NASCAR champion, doing the Bush race as well. And I'm going around running about the same sort of time as him in Tesla. And they said pretend it was a twenty-five second lap, you know. So I'm going like twenty-five two or something. Yeah. So I said to the guys in the team after that, what's 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 uh, what's pole position going to be for this race? I said, ah, you know, probably twenty-four nine. Okay, so what's the middle going to be? They said, Yeah, maybe twenty-five one. I said, no, not the middle of the front row, the middle of the pack. <laughs> That'll be the middle of the pack. I said, so what's the last gonna be? You know, it'll be 25, six. <laughs> you realize it's tough and you're gonna try and get this together in one lap or maybe sometimes you get two, but usually it was one. Um, and um, it was the toughest form of racing that, uh, for everything I'd done yeah. that, that I'd, I'd ever done. But I'm so glad I did it. I do did, I did like about half a dozen races a year for about four or five years. I couldn't live in America. I, mean, I, yeah. I, I was doing stuff over here, so I had to come back out again. But I still look back on it with, with fantastic affection. And you see some of them, some of them do well. Some of them find it tough. You know, um, i watching Shane Van Gisburg, and He won an NASCAR race the other day, a Kiwi guy I've worked with. Mm. Uh, and uh, he's going to do a whole season, next year, I think. And he'll, he'll have the ovals. That'll be interesting for him.
0: Yeah. Is it is it quite a, a difficult... Thing to and sort of transition one way or the other. You know, you've done a lot of normal sort of yeah. European racing, and then you try some oval stuff, or you've done a lot of oval. You can't it? rely on car control or anything like that. You know, you got to keep it still. If you can a tiny bit of push,
2: you get a bit of neutral. You think, ah, I think I'll just get the front end a little bit better. It'll, it'll spin straight away. <laughs> and they're soft. The cars. I mean, and like, I'm now. I'm talking thirty years ago, maybe more, um, but. If you would look at Dale Earnhardt going along senior at that point and you'd see the wheels on the car side on. You know, uh, so they are driving these huge, basically 1957 Ford Fairlands with, <laughs> with, with modern body on. And and over here you'd be putting springs on racing cars, 700 pounds, 800 pounds. They were like 350-pound springs. And, and 400 pounds, I thought, gosh, this should be stiffer than that. So we tried to stiffen it up, but it just goes past the tyre. It, it would not do it. Right. You had to, so, so although they look, and they'll be a lot better now, they look quite stable. They're sitting in them, they're moving around. Really? Up. Wow. Yeah. And there were no mirrors on the side in those days because they get knocked off. <laughs> so you didn't have side mirrors. You had one in the middle. Uh, Did you get like a wide one? Or so, it, well, yeah, a... yeah, it looked wide when you're sitting in the car. <laughs> and it didn't see that much yeah. when you were driving it. Um, and then you have a spotter, a guy, you know, you see them Okay, yeah. you look at the grandstands and there's a little thing on the top, you know, where there's about all well, the spotters set. You can right, see them, okay. you know, Go high, go low, you know, the guy's there, someone you know and uh, and they wander around, they wander around, around. Um and so but fantastic time and and also they had all these little stickers on the side, on the on the guard, you know, little advertising things. I, I haven't really looked at one lately but but you'd have all of these, you know, about 30 little yeah. subsidiary sponsors. And if you made the top 15 in a race, they'd all send you $200. Oh, and right. so yeah, you'd, you'd, go, you'd come 15th in New Hampshire or Darlington, and then you come home, and then for about two weeks, all these little checks come to oh, nice. Deer and then stamped in Rob. It was a standard <laughs> letter. You know, congratulations on your
0: 12th. on your, yeah. one, And here's your check for $200. Nice. Yeah there's a lot um, That's, uh, sounds, it's, it's mental to think of them like moving around what, um, what is, what's the funnest what, or what series racing have you enjoyed did you think you enjoyed the most or were they all sort of a bit different they're all different
2: you enjoy the success you know if the car's painted on the road and, yeah. you know, it's working really well you beat people. I think that's what you enjoy. Um, I don't know. Fun when you look back on it. Okay. Yeah. You know, there's some some maybe some races and things you'll talk with. You know, I talk with Stefan Johansson, who's who uh, I raced against a lot. You know, and there's we have some good old talks. Cause mm. We collided. I don't know how many times. <laughs> and we we laugh about it. No, you know, but at the time, yeah. You know, Ron Dennis was running him, and Ron was never very happy. About that. Well, he wasn't very happy generally, Uh, but he was even less happy if Stefan bumped into me if I did it to him. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. So um, I I, 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 I don't want to say that's not fun because that's that's not being that kind to something that was very kind to me. You know, I had a a living Mm. doing that for 40, still do, you know, and did beforehand because I'd write for some car magazines. Right, yeah do interviews and things, around 16, 17, that sort of stuff. So it gave you a life and um, and it was a completely classless life, you know, right? um, particularly coming from New Zealand. You know, and you'd go and you'd sit and talk to Bruce McLaren, you know, you'd be kid, yeah. get his autograph, he'd sit and talk to you. And say, you know, get your arithmetic, nice. so we called it arithmetic then, so yeah. they called it maths now. Uh you know, take care of the arithmetic. Phil Hill would come and do the Tasman Championship with Bruce and the Coopers. He stayed in touch with me to the day he died. You know, and I'm, I'm getting his autograph at 13. You know, and that's so cool. what, what a thoughtful guy. And um, and then I trained his son, Derek. He won races at Goodwood. And I mean, this is 30, 40 years mm. later. And um, he would he wrote letters and this other. Like now these were the, the this is a privilege. You know, um, you're you're standing there at uh, yeah, getting an autograph. And then in the, the Tasman series would would happen during our school holidays. you Zealand. say so you'd get little gopher jobs with the teams and yeah. there would be Jim Clark and there would be cool. Graham Hill and uh, Colin Chapman was out there sometimes and, and uh, you'd sit beside them. But I was sitting there one day on Thursday, or Friday before the New Zealand Grand Prix at Pukekohe just sitting, dangling my feet there. And you could sit right beside is Colin Chapman or whoever it was, sitting there. And um, and Graham Hill's Lotus 49T turns up. It's a brand new car. Adrian knew he owns it now. Um, and it became a Lotus 49B thing that won Monaco. Right. About. So this is this is January 1969. So Graham's just won the world title at the end of '68. And they built him a brand-new car for the Tasman series, which was known as a 49T at that point for Tasman. And I'm sitting there dangling my feet, and the car's right in front of me. And Graham walks across the track from the paddock on the paddock area over there. There's nothing on the track. And he comes across, and there's immaculate overalls and a jacket and a Firestone stuff. And he, he, he used to look good, Graham. Yeah, know? yeah. And, uh, and he comes to the car, and Graham was a good mechanic. Um, and he... Started walking around the car. And he goes to the left rear, the right rear. And he's, oh, I'm here. You know, I move my knees because he comes here and goes around. And he probably spends, you know, six, seven minutes just talking to him, just looking at the car. It was quite a long time to be. Yeah. I've just arrived from England. I'm having a look. I've got come to the hotel. And uh, and then he called a mechanic over there saying, um, and I'm looking at it. He goes, uh, who, uh, who set this car up? And the mechanic said, "Oh, whoever it was back." Then, you know. Yeah. And Graham pulled a, a a notepad out of his jacket pocket and a pen, wrote his name down. He said, "Right, I'll have his job when we get back." You know. And, that, and I thought, God, <laughs> you know, not so nice, because <laughs> <Graham, laughs> he was that had you all know, that nice, all yeah, yeah thing yeah, about yeah. him. You know. But yeah, you get it later on. You know. But he was. It was just a moment where I'm standing there thinking, "I'll, I'll have his job." <laughs> and, um, so, yeah, they were interesting. He was a good mechanic, though, Grant. And uh, he his, his, his mechanic was a friend of mine, became a friend of mine, did, and did what they call engineering for me. His name was Alan McCall. And he was Jimmy Clark's mechanic on the Lotus 49 and on the Tasman Series car prior to that and post that. So, his as, as Kiwi go.
3: Mm.
2: And they were qualifying for the British Grand Prix in 1967. And they're going fine they're in the front row, Jimmy and Graham in the Lotus 49s. Graham shunts his car. And so it has to go back to Hethel to get fixed overnight. Yeah. And I think the race is on a Saturday in those days. So it's Friday that Meanwhile, there were no garages. You didn't have garages at the tracks in those days. So all the teams did deals with local dealerships. Okay. Dealership <laughs> teams. Yeah, and... And they would, so Jimmy's car, or Lotus had done a deal with a Ford dealer in Buckingham. Right. Down the road from Silverstone. So that car gets sent down with Alan McCall to prepare for the following yeah. day. The other one gets put on the trailer and transit or something and drives off to Hethel. And Graham goes with it because Graham's got all the notes about how to build the car. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. so they spend all the time, they build the car. It comes back. And they arrive back at the track and they're sitting there, you know, it's, I don't know whatever it is, you know, 10 o'clock in the morning. And they've been sitting there for quite a while with Graham's car. And then somebody noticed, sorry, somebody noticed, where's Jimmy's car? It's not here. And they'd forgotten. It. <laughs> and they'd forgotten. It. And Alan was down at the Buckingham Garage. It was Saturday. There was no access to the office to make any telephone calls. And who would he have called anyway? Because. There were no mobile phones. Right, yeah. So they quickly realised what they'd done. They quickly got them out, tore down to Buckingham. and there's Alan sitting on the front wheel of Jimmy's Lotus 49. You know, they'd totally forgotten him. <laughs> drove it to the track. And uh, he won the race. He won the
0: British round. <laughs> that was amazing. I know. It's a funny story. That is quite I, and funny. Then, and, that's, and so throughout this time that you were racing, were you sort of consciously driving and sort of working on a driving sort of style or techniques and, and sort of like mentally trying, like logging and working on Only that sort of possibly.
2: stuff? possibly. Talk about this a little bit. I mean, let's go, you know, no. I think you just out drove people. Mm. You just out drove. You'd look at the, You'd pick the most dangerous corner. You'd think, this worries me. It's going to worry everyone else. Yeah. I look in the mirror, I didn't care if it was Nigel Mansell or Nelson Piquet. Oh, he was because You do that, you think, you know? And you, you, yeah. and, and, that's, and you come to a chicane and you would ignore it, you know? <laughs> and it didn't seem like racing at all, you know? <laughs> and so, no. And um, you would think so. We talk about this. So, let's, if we go back to here I am winning a race at Silverstone, I've got Michaeli Alboreto or someone. Behind me, and everyone, whoever's going to be the, the next Formula One? Thing. Yeah, you win it. You briefly hold on that record, silver slender hombre. You get your supervisor You know things, right? No, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> you think you know, uh, uh, and all you're doing is, is is driving as fast as you can, learning how cars work. Very luckily, I had spent time with uh, Ron Turek, who was the Brabham route designer, and. Um, so you'd learn how to make cars work within the framework that you mm-hmm. had, and you'd go out and, and every now and then you'd win some races. Um, the art and craft of driving no um, that came I think that came later um, when you are you have to deliver you have to have the best racing drivers in the world with you, and the best engineers I work with the engineers as well. And you need to deliver. You need to be able to uh, identify and articulate what the difference is. Yeah. And that makes you think. And so when, now I keep mentioning Ron Turanac, and I know you probably don't know, but he, uh, he, he was a you know, one of the world's top designers. Right. Very practical. And, uh, and he had the Honda Formula 2s and I would test those for him sometimes. And Ron was a designer and a car, a racing car builder. And then he also did a bit of racing with Jack, a bit of hill climbs and things, you know, years before. Fatties himself as a bit of a driver. Mm. So I suppose it was about, he's passed away now, Ron. But about 25 years ago, maybe, maybe more, but probably 25 years ago, he said, I want to come and do a day with you, you know, one of these days that you do with all you know? Yeah. Okay, we'll go and do it, so we we'll drive up. We do the day, and it's a great day, and he learns, you know, does things, you know, not to be a racing driver, but we're driving back, and he goes, "Are you a better driver now than you were 25, 30 years ago?" And you'd be testing my Formula 2s my racing, my or my Formula Threes, and all that. Yeah. You know, are you better? You know, it's a very difficult question to answer. You know, uh, but now I, I think it's just that I should have stopped 30 years ago, 40 years ago doing this. But every day I'm out there. You're with the best drivers in the world. Yeah. Thinking, what about this instead of that? What about that? You know, and sometimes someone else may not even be a racing driver, but probably comes up with some phrase really describing something. Right. And you think, why don't that's better than the way I've been described? Yeah. Well, why, you know, <laughs> why have I never described it like that? And I think um, we've had seventy-five Formula One drivers or more since the nineteen eighties. It's quite a lot. It's a lot, and. Um, if, you know, a couple of world champions, have couple, not all of them, and then others. But I was adding it up the other day, or not the other day, but about a year ago. Yeah. we're saying let's just fun. How many are there? We're saying, and then we got up to about seventy-five, a bit more. It's a lot of drivers, you know, and that's just the Formula One. That's not the Indies, That's the Indy drivers. That's not the Bathurst, the Aussie V8s, or the Formula Twos, or the rally drivers. Mm. The rest of them. Um, so the sitting there with them. I'll, I'll do a couple of apps. I'll sort of do it. I'll sort of see it. You know. And the rest of the time I'm in the passenger seat. It. And, and it's all, yeah, good, what about this, the other? It's a real, it's quite an intimate dialogue, it's like a hairdresser relationship, you know, Yeah. except we've got a stopwatch. And we can feel it. And, um, it, it, which makes it easy. We can feel it, but we can time it. And um, all during that period, you... Learn to uh, to identify things, to be able to articulate it, to be able to say, "Yeah, if we move like this, this happens to the car," and 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 when when you when you're doing it, yeah, you'll do it. You'll sort of do it. You'll, they'll sort of see it. What you're trying to do is get into their brain, so that they give themselves their own examples, and it's that, and that could be three days in, that could be 10 laps in. I did this, I felt that, and there's the stopwatch. I, and I got that. Right. And it builds another channel in the brain. It's not like listening to a song. Saying, oh, it's a fantastic song. Someone else goes, oh, I hate it. You know? Or this painting here is worth you know, $5 million today. You know? Someone else looks at it go, <laughs> I don't see it at all. Now, if we aggrandize this slightly and say, well, it's, a, it's a training, exercise but it's an art and a craft you know some guile and style and this you know this, this arty thing um we're doing it but we have a stopwatch and that was what i found the first time i drove a racing car which is a good First first two laps i'm going slow and i timed it now i'd been spent my life we played in bands and do things you write know, things and Play wonderfully, and everyone hates it. And he played great, and he yeah. played terribly. And they was oh, great. <laughs> you know, the measuring stick isn't that great. Yeah, it's a around the train. Yeah. And I got to start with, I thought, this is simple. There's a simplicity to this. And um, because it's not often you can get measured. Yeah. You know, uh, so, so that's what, what does it. And that's what builds the chain, the, 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 uh, the channel in your brain. And it becomes something that you are. Not just something that you do, and uh, and once you've given yourself your own examples, it's great. You take ownership of the idea, and it becomes fun stuff. It becomes obsessive, really, and um, you just lap and lap and lap and lap. There you've done it. You know, yes, five laps. There you do it again, and you get the laptop. So that's what I do with them, mainly to transfer. But, but did we know that back in 1978? Yeah. I know, I'd like to think you were completely ignorant, you know. Um, and, of course, you, you've got to know things, but I suppose. You've got to know to get around the corner, you know, um, and, and so on. But you know, it's not all just like the lines or anything like that, you know. It's something, it's you becoming at one with the car, becoming at one with the surface, and you can transcend the car and become at one with the surface. You know, it's a, it's a nice feeling. That's why they'll come in for one day from the US or Australia, and then they will come back again a few months later. You know, there might be just two things you do in Indy, or there might be a dozen things you do in a rally.
0: Yeah, so if you've got got someone coming in who's a Formula One world champion, by most people's standards, they're very good at driving and very quick. What sort of things do you then work on with someone like that because you go from my side I go well they're really bloody quick what are you going to tell this person what are you going to tell this person and how do you sort of how do you go about that how do you approach it Mm. well you you don't know anything
2: about that yeah because um, they drive the car and you think hang on that was a bit lumpy you know we're coming off the brake a bit suddenly aren't we you know yeah sure it's going to hire men in in speed but look at the I don't don't know what they're going to do yeah you know, you, everyone has a tendency, some people to a late and sharp. Some people, you know, um, sit on the ideal geometric line, you know. And that, of course, loads the car up a bit too much, for too long sometimes. And, and, and so the people who will get
0: stuck with that, um, that. That little point there, I say that little point, I feel like that's quite a big one. When everyone goes to their first track day or whatever, we all see this sweeping curves that go around a corner. Um, and they say that's the fastest way around. Talk to me about this. Well, is it? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's the question. Is it? Um, uh, I and mean, probably it depends.
2: Yeah. yeah you, you know There was a point where, when we used to run on on tyres that lasted forever, uh, and and you didn't get the tyre degradation. Yeah. Um, that uh, you could have a long corner. And, and even you could sometimes flick the cars and then hold a bit of a drift, and they still kept going forward. You know? um, so it's the, the later you turn, the sharper you turn. The sharper you turn, the more you ask of the car. Um, and so going for the ideal geometric line, you'll find um, halfway through some corners. Um, I, I won't name any names, but you'll see, so, oh, it's spun, oh, I'll have to wait to look at the data or data, and see what what happened. We know what happened. You know, you'd sat there for too long on the line. You know, whoops. Too much load for too long. There's a little bit of rotation, you know, in the middle, just if you can, around 25% of the cases, you can get a little bit more of a turn in the middle of the corner. Not, just, not with your steering. You know, people think, oh, what's that? But it can be sometimes. But the rate you've decreased the brake pressure, how long you've stayed on the throttle, how much throttle you did or didn't put down? There's a variety of ways of, of getting a little bit more rotation and maybe a bit more steering. Perhaps uh, one of the least uh, least of the options, but um, and so it's a bit more of a fifty pence piece, right? Corner and um, and there may be 30 percent of that. Is, the other corners are, can be like that. Um, yeah, it's the higher minimum speed. Say on, on your ideal swooping uh, corner. Here's the turn and point. It's not a point. Yeah, the turn and point is. Not, you know, by the time you get there, it's gone. Yeah, you, you know, it's a weight transfer region, and you're peripherally taking it. But more, you're looking at where do I want to get to, which is the a, your apex, you know, which is a bit like your truth. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's um, it's um, the point where normally where you. are going the slowest and changing the direction the most. and um, So uh, I can move around a little. This is a geometric one. But uh, I've got that rotation done and then I'm taking the steering out of it if I can. And because uh, of that higher minimum speed on the ideal geometric line, uh, yeah, it gives you 2K more, 3K more in the middle of this corner. It doesn't necessarily mean there's it's 2 or 3K faster down the following straight because that... That extra 2k going around does put more load into the car, and so its rate of acceleration may not be quite as high. You know, if you go if you've got 60% of the track is full throttle, be right? Good if that was straight, yeah. You know, if, if it's going around a corner, you know, it's, it's only going to go that far, yeah. You're using yeah. up more traction on turning, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just starting to go so it doesn't go quite as far. Um, so the ideal line. I wouldn't, sometimes, you know, sometimes it's an easy flat corner. Um, But you can miss the apex a little bit and still win. You know, don't put more
0: steering on to get there
2: if you've got room on the outside.
0: Right, yeah, yeah. So then I guess you're saying about tyre degradation, which, yeah, in a perfect world or in a a sim, actually even sims take this into account now, your tyre would never run out. And you can drive the same line or the same situation for the whole lap. But actually in a race, it's about the highest, your total race time needs to be, or your average lap speed across the whole race, average lap time needs to be the shortest. Mm -hmm. So you're managing less and less grip until you change tires or get to the end of the race. So then you're saying if you are straightening the car or accelerating more in a straight line and these sorts of things, you are degrading your tyre less?
2: Yeah, correct. Yeah, It's a bit more of a high peak, say, in the middle where you're, where you're rotating the most. But then the next seven or eight car, is, it's a lot lighter on the car, so so it's that little bit of a high peak does, yeah, it's a little more of a load there. It's like putting your hand on a red-hot stove for a fraction of a second and it's gone the right, yeah. damage was gone. The other one keep going around. It's like having your having the stove half as hot and keeping your hand on it for a few seconds. Yeah, and fry your hand. So uh, it actually works out slightly in your favour um, to get the rotation and get the steering out of it. You know, because you start to feel that corner's gone on a bit too long, hasn't it? You know, and also it won't accelerate quite as quick. But not either. Equally, you can't go too slow when you're getting you know, your rotation. You can't stop the car get out and check it up, point it <laughs> that get back in it. And... <coughs> Sorry, because someone will drive around the outside of you, Yeah, you know, do it. So there's gotta be, there's a compromise to it, you know, and uh, so it's good, right idea, but
0: a bit slow, let's make that a bit quicker next lap, you know, that sort of thing. And what, um, what car are people driving when they come see you? Mostly a Ford Puma. And, and why have you picked a Ford Puma? You
2: can talk. Okay, yeah, yeah. We don't wear helmets. You know. um, we're against the stopwatch, but you know, the environment's good. They move a little bit, so there's a bit of a ripple effect from anything you've done. You do it in a Ferrari 360 or something, so it's over and done with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I guess you've
0: got, the slower you're going... Yeah, yeah, the more time you got to got, I did this and I feel that. You know. Yeah, I, I I did a day at um, Bronte thought, With someone, and we were in. We were in an MX Five compared to driving like the Radical or something. You know, you can split the corner into just significantly more chunks because your brain can process it. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, And then, but then, okay, you get you've got these, these Formula One drivers come in who are you're not quite sure what's. I guess there's another element which is they're all driving different cars. So there's there's a car element in F1, obviously, Um, but then some some drivers embarrass their teammates quite significantly, like Max at the moment. Um, What do you think of Max's driving? That's on the limit.
2: He's, He's he's absolutely brilliant. Just you know, he's got it worked out. I think he's number one, and I think I think it's sort of like Max, Lewis.
0: We've just been off for a little bit of a break and we started talking about racing and I was asking Rob about a crash I'd had at Spa so that's what we were talking about when we come back. What do you think um, do you think there should be something should be done about a Rouge at the moment? No, I, I mean I'm good friends with Lance and father and all that. Yeah you, you
2: don't want it to happen but if you did something to stop that you would also stop every oval sorry in America. Yeah. Or every anything that's well, 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 anytime you find somebody that's lost it and then slightly unsighted, or the accident, when if you finally see it, you know, it has happened and then you see it. Yeah. It won't just be a rouge, it would be a lot, of, a lot of corners like that. You know, you could you could have that at Goodwood. You know, you know, somehow you come over around Fortwater Water and then somebody's lost it, which they do from time to time. Uh, but you don't know about it until you're just cresting, and what are you going to do? Somehow slow it down, you know? Um, whilst you're leaning and doing mm. this, and so, so no, they've made it a bit too easy for people. You know, you you used to be a, a bit tougher. You know, if you went off, you you were off the track. Yeah, you know, and they do have these. They build a car park on the outside of things. Yeah. People take chances, you know. I somehow I think that any, any track where if you leave the track and there's a time advantage, there's, there's a flaw in that design somewhere. You know, yeah.
0: I think. Uh, you should, like Monaco, you can't cut yeah, very Yeah, they, they don't seem to. But the one bit you can cut, people do accidentally cut.
2: <laughs> I know. So, um, so I don't think, it's, it's a worrying corner, of course, as well. Yeah, because it's a worrying corner. Um, but I don't think... I think you've got to keep that sort of thing in racing. But cars are so safe. Oh, sorry, I know people have accidents and they, they But by and large, it's so much so. You know, when Jacques Villeneuve had an accident at Eau Rouge because he tried to take it flat or something, in a B.A.R. something, Honda. He then said, oh, it's the best accident I've ever had. I, I, I thought that was a... <laughs> I don't think that was a very impressive thing to say. Yeah. My best accident.
0: <laughs> yeah, what was your best accident?
2: How are you ranking it? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, he got away with it because the car was safe and he hit things in the right
0: place and yeah. nobody else T-boned him. But they couldn't. Yeah, that's it. It's like the cars are great at dissipating energy. They're not that good at getting hit by another car. no. They're very
2: heavy now, cars as well, so they do go on a bit.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you think you do you have to drive the the modern like I don't know current cars differently to how you would drive ten years ago, twenty years ago? Do you have to drive them differently because they're they've evolved and they're different, or well, you similar basics,
2: similar basics because it puts it well. You can't have the corner going to you can't be correcting slides cookie tires um doing that you about to give the lap up whereas there was a time where you could hold a bit of a drift you know, and the yeah. kept going forward so you do have to be a bit more delicate I think you know with um, with the cars because you it used to be pole position when you get a bit of yeah. lock and do you that know, now you just give it up you know, it's, it's ruined its tires or that won't be any good for the next lap or uh, it just isn't fast yeah. You know, they, they, they do that, but they don't go forward
0: at the same time. When you've got, when we, before we had a little break, I, met, I talked about, we started talking about Max. Let's say you've got someone driving to that level. Like, let's just say he's like pretty much on the limit the entire entire, entire time. What does that feel like as a driver in a car like that? Is it, have you got a bit of scrub front, a bit of scrub at the back? Or, what, what, yeah, what's he sort of feeling when he's driving like that? Because it looks so smooth. He
2: feels the beginnings of tiny bit of understanding. You know, so he might ease off the throttle a little. You know, and then you feel the beginning of a little bit of um, tyre slip at the rear. And he might then ramp the throttle up on the next lap or, or, then, or just a fraction slower. But he's operating on a very, very fine line of himself, he can feel you know, the, uh, the limit very, very easily. You know, That a tiny, tiny little bit of movement is big. Yeah. yeah, he can operate.
0: I, I like the concept of sort of like resolution. As in like, when you first start driving, you're, you've got like, I don't know, six blocks and that's like, you're turning, accelerating, that's all you can think about. And then as you learn a bit more, there might be whatever twenty four things, mm-hmm. and then there's like a thousand, and then when you get to like max, it's like it's scaled up so much that he's do you think he is consciously concentrating on tiny, tiny things, or he's at at that point you're it's all kind of in there, and you're probably thinking about bigger things, like yeah, or he's
2: concentrating on tiny little things, he'll be going absolutely flat out, but the tiniest little thing. That happens as a result of that is going to be a major thing in his. Yeah. You know, I've got no front end. You know. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've got no front end, like a ty- yeah. half a percent difference or something. Yeah. yeah that's right. And that will be a different to me. It means I
2: cannot take this corner absolutely flat, which no one else can, but I can if you'll just make the nose go in a little bit better.
0: Yeah. You know, and that'll be, oh, I can't drive. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you hear of cars that are it's sort of easier to drive I, i'm not saying f1 car none of them i'm sure are easier to drive and then you get cars that are not so easy to drive but might be a bit faster does it generally if a car is easier to drive does it necessarily mean it's fast or is there any sort of metric of weighing those two things up i don't think really um I can remember KK Rosberg, Nico's
2: father, saying, you know, they all feel terrible on the absolute limit, you know. Mm. I'm not sure that's the case because, um, I'm not sure that is the case because when cars really work, like when Jochen Rindt won, I think, the Dutch Grand Prix or or a Grand Prix in the Lotus 72, one of the early ones he won, maybe Hockenheim, he said to Colin Chapman, it was so easy, the monkey could have driven this car and it would have (laughs) won. Because it was so so easy, um, so I think when it's really really nice, you're not really thinking about anything. That's probably the fastest. You can rag a car, and it will be on the limit. And you can probably out with someone like Rosberg, Kers, would drive people. Yeah, you know, do do a better job at, 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 at uh, hanging on to that car and using the car control he had, and you know, but like a um, Silverman could do that say, so, well, that's the fastest way. That's what it's like at the limit. But then you would take an uh, Alan Prost, you know. Uh, and these days I think of Lewis Hamilton, you know, who's got a very elegant style. Mm. Um, and when that car works for him,
3: well, he's
2: he fast. You know, he's been actually out qualifying George of lately, you know. Yeah. You know, and uh, he's got quite a jump over him, you know. And I think um, Lewis is... Um, it's got a nice progressive feeling in doing it, and he wants a car that it feels nice. Yeah. And um, so I, I, I don't think that, yeah, the car's on the ragged edge, they all feel on a limit, and I'm constantly on the edge, and I'm using up reactions and things like that. Yep, you can win races depending on who's running second, but if uh, I'm processing that, I don't know, I want my car to feel like this, uh, he'll probably cross the finish line. So he won't be being a faster racing driver, but he'll probably cross the finish line. A soon.
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the sort of the concept of the the perfect lap, or uh, you've got someone down and you are coaching them, and you've got your course in your head. I, I, I know you move around quite a bit now, and probably the course. Maybe do you are you on? Do you spend a lot of time on sort of set circuits now? Or are you setting out your own courses? For
2: you? um, no, well, good would I do. That's, set. Okay, that's yeah. been set since 1940, or 1951. Yeah. They put the chicane in. Um, the Donington I use is not the Donington track, but the old 1933 to 38 Formula One track. Right. I use that. Obviously, you're very familiar with that. Very, very familiar, yeah. So you've um, probably seen photographs of water unions with their wheels in the air, and that, that's still there. Yeah. And so I I've got. I use a user version of that, which is great, and I go down really. See what else comes up. Um, and the Hethel been very nice. The Lotus Tears track near Snetterton,
0: mm. and um, Bedford, where there's two or three different tracks. Yeah, or four. And do you have? You've you've gone to Hethel. <clears throat> you've got your Puma. Yeah. In your head, do you have a? The time that you're like this is this this really is the fastest someone could do. Or do you there are of, fastest laps. Yeah, that you know, we time every lap, and so
2: we know you know a bit like a Top Gear scorecard. Yeah, you know, <laughs> um, that, that on that day we did achieve a one thirteen one, but we seem to be on fourteen now, thirteen yeah. seven. And there's such a variation, really, because the temperature. Car's got another five horsepower. Yeah, because it's cooler,
0: fuel levels down, and so on. And if you're sitting in the passenger seat with someone, and they do, you know, they do a lap. Do you have quite a good inner sort of reading of? I think there's another half second. I think there's another tenth. I think like a second or whatever it is. And when you get uh, let. we're talking about Max but let's say Max or someone like Max what's like a would you be like okay but he doesn't about Max as an in no no no, but a a driver except not Yeah. Um, are are you looking for like a hundredth or you're like no there's still like a couple of tenths within that day
2: you'll give yourself examples of being 300 300 quicker or half a tenth quicker or a tenth quicker no you're not looking for that well, you are, because it's there, you're seeing it at least. Yeah. Um, the result, now you're looking for the way that they drive. Right, okay. It's the way it's you the drive. concept. Yeah, yeah, and it so happens that when that way is done nicely, we get that lap time. It's a product of that. But no, you're looking, thinking, that's too sudden on the brakes. That's too much of a sudden decrease. That's no guide on the wheel. We're turning a bit late. The later you turn, the sharper you turn. You know, mm-hmm. That's, that's too much wheel movement, that, that holding the wheel too tight. You, you're telling the car what to do with a, with a, a hammer. Boom, boom, boom. There'll be a resonance after that. So there's a certain rate that you inform the car what's coming. And you, when you master that, um, the lap time shows it. You know, and it shows it. And we can feel it. You know, we can't look at the squiggly lines and show them because everyone's looking at the squiggly lines going, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see this, I see this, I <laughs> see that. But I've never heard a racing driver come in here and say, I see, <laughs> I see oversteer, you know, I see.
3: Yeah. So, yeah,
2: you feel it. You know, so There's a disconnect. And so so we we feel it. And of course, it's digital the telemetry, so it's, it can never be 100% accurate. It's yeah. a great, great x ray, but it's a series of blocks. It built out for, You know, remember when they, well, you don't uh, because you're too young, but when they invented CDs for music. Yeah. You know, and they digitally remastered all the music. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you'd get a, a Beatle era song or something, Crosby, Stills and that. And the note would just fade out analog like we're talking. Dun. Yeah. But then they digitally remastered. And if it didn't quite make the next railway sleeper underneath yeah. that line, <laughs> it stopped and yeah... <laughs> yeah, 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 and you could yeah. hear all the joins, and yeah, I remember Crosby, Stills and Nash taking out advertisements in the press saying, "Don't buy our Don't buy it, yeah. digitally remastered CDs." We left air around there for a reason. Now there's was a bit grand, a little bit yeah. precious, but they're kind of right, right yeah. <laughs> and so now if we are putting some brake pressure and we're going, you know, sort of just a tiny, tiny introduction. Or weight transfer through the initial steering, you know. And if that just goes from one to one point four nine on that on that straight stroke squiggly yeah. line, that line's still going to read one, you know. And then we just go it's infinitesimal, not infinitesimal, a fraction more, two hundredths more. We go from one point four nine to one point five one. It's going to read two. Yeah. And so. We're saying, but what about one point one one six to one point two three four? You know, it's um, it's not there. Yeah, you know, it's not there. And
0: if it was there, what does it mean?
2: You know, so you need to feel
0: it. And are people trying to capture more of that in data? Yeah, I'll tell you about that afterwards. Okay. Oh yeah. I'm interested to know. And then, yes. Yeah. So you've got. You've also got these people coming in who, I, I don't know whether they necessarily, each person's different, so you might get some people with a massive ego. Uh, do, do most people, presumably some people get sent, do people, some get sent to you and some people want to come so they come with a slightly different aspect and they might go, well, actually, I'm not sure you're always faster. Do you, get any, how do, you, do you get any of that and do you have to deal with that? Yeah, I suppose some are sent,
2: but I think it's usually by consent. Uh, yeah, sorry, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, Because there's so many people that have been there, and engineers that, and there are, and my phone number's not anywhere. It's, it's uh, impossible to yeah, find. Yeah, <laughs> and no email address. No, no, nothing. Yeah. Nothing is out there. Uh, there's some things we do like that. Some people do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fine, but but I've never said that. So anyone that turns up is usually someone who knows someone. And, and they've found that. So when they arrive, the, I want say success rate, the acceptance is sort of a false 99%. Right, yeah. Because everyone that's there wants to be there, you yeah. know, or most of the people, or the team wants them to be there, or something, you know. But if I'd put something on it, taken an advertisement on the side of a London bus, say, said, yeah, come here and I'll make you, like, your lap... Uh, you know, Clapham Common, and, and you know, thirty seconds, <laughs> 30 seconds quicker, uh, or something. You would just be that much better a driver. Yeah, you'd probably get a failure rate of you know of about ninety nine percent because yeah. you know they wouldn't have a clue what you're talking about or, or what it was. So, um, so my happiness rating is high because. Everyone's, the, it's like saying, um, I really want a McDonald's hamburger. So you go to McDonald's hamburger and you get your hot McDonald's hamburger. Uh, so we're 100% happy. Yeah. You know, if you went, if you wanted one and they were closed and you ended up with a Burger King, you know, Burger King would only be 30% happy. Yeah. They, they decided they want to come. So, yeah, yeah, So yeah, I yeah.
0: think it, it's a slightly false reading. I, re- I remember when I first started looking into sort of, driver coaching and, and stuff like that. And then um, you come across the sort of different methods. You can go to a uh, track day and then someone might sit with you for 20 minutes or you can take your car or you might go to an experience center or whatever and you might be able to drive a Lamborghini or something. And then I started hearing about, I don't think I'd heard about you at this point, but someone else. Um, and they were like, oh yeah, they do it in a similar sort of thing to the Puma or uh, Scott in his uh, MX-5 or something like that. Um, and immediately, I think there was like a, an ego check that had to be done before you even considered it because you go, well, I'm not driving a Ferrari or I'm not driving my race car or whatever. And then I thought about it and was like, no, there's there's I think after doing a tiny bit of driving trading, I realized there's a lot in this that is nothing to do with being in a fast car or whatever. It's like actually driving a slow car fastest can be really hard yeah and you learn a lot
2: go. Mm, um if you do it in 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 a 430 ferrari or something you know and we've driven everything we don't, i don't think we've missed anything Yeah. or raced it or something um and um but it's self-correcting you know it's in boom boom it's done and you know uh it's, a, it's all over and done with much too quickly you know we need to say look what's going on here what's that you know. And also with a manual gearbox and working your hands, feet so that you become bump sensitive, you know. So you know, eh, I do this downshift with my paddle shift in my racing car, but it always jumps a little bit. Yeah, it's never that nice, you know. And uh, so therefore, you when you become bump sensitive, you get used to a seamless series of downshifts in a braking area. You think if I have a bump at the start of that braking area, it's going to affect that entire braking area. Until I turn and goes yeah, you know. So therefore, that bump. Let's do our downshift a bit later. All right, you don't have the engine braking, but but let's do it later so that when you get that jump, that the paddle shift, if it's not brilliant in most of the mount, um, is is not, is not. If that bump only comes halfway through, leaving you only fifty meters that are affected, rather than a hundred meters because you did it at the start. Yeah, you might do that. And that might be because you become very, very bump sensitive. You know, do you stay run on the curb coming out of the thing and jump off the end of it onto the grass? Do we put a bit more load in the car and not have that jump? You look at where telemetry can be quite useful, but where where cars just get stalled, you know, by a jolt of this a jaunt, mm. any jolt stalls the car. You know, now you may want to have to run on the curb and go over the bump because you can't, you don't want to hold the wheel that tight. Yeah, you know, it's faster to do that. Yeah. You've got to say, well, is it faster to go boom?" Right, well, we'll keep it over here a little bit. But the bump sensitivity uh, is is very very important, and it should offend you. One, not interesting, you. It should offend you. And most of them, and with the karting drivers, a lot they've come out of, and they're in their first season formula or something, four three, yeah, you know, GB something. But they but they've been in karts since they're eight. Uh it usually takes a, two or three days to get the bumps out of them. Right. don't bump, 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 because karting is different. I don't train people to, well, I train some people who race karts, but they're on the cusp or they're yeah. in, they've got their F1 junior contract from the age of five. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and so they're going to be getting into these single-seaters uh, racing cars. And... Very, very jumpy. They don't know what clutches are for. And oddly enough, I was in a car the other day, and I've done this a few times, they had an oil pressure gauge. They don't know what it is. What is that? Look, gosh, the oil temperatures got really hot. Now it's really cold. No, no, no. That's an oil pressure gauge. We used to live on that, you know, and those things. I've never seen one. Yeah. You know? Yeah,
0: no. nowadays everything's got digital uh, displays. Yeah, I know, and you I, know.
2: Don't... But I, I, I I didn't... I haven't come across that. I had not come across it. There's just no, like maybe three or four times. I was like, oh, what's that? You know, it's an oil pressure gauge. You know? <laughs> um, and um, so it's, it's very strange. It's a bit like a friend of mine in New Zealand who um, has horses, and they would send some horses out from New York City that have to be in quarantine for a certain amount of time. Okay. Months. Yeah. And and in the next field there were cows. And these horses from New York City had never seen a cow, and they wouldn't go near the fence. It took them a month or something yeah. so to steadily go over and finally start to talk to a cow because it didn't know what it was. Yeah, yeah. So, finding that with all
0: pressure gauges at the moment—that's <laughs> <laughs> quite funny. I was watching a—I think I was listening to a podcast or something—and um, this this clip came up in my head, and I wanted to ask you about it. It's the it's the clip of. Senna driving not sure what he was driving an F1 car and he's like blipping this throttle around the corner you've probably been asked about this like a hundred million times what's going on is it bullshit is it real what's the chat he's um,
2: he is one of those booms that's going to be the one where he can get going you know uh, but I I talked with Jackie Stewart about this and saying what and he's saying yeah that's one of his least attractive driving <laughs> traits. Bah, 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 whereas Prosper would be this. Now, how much that was... It would have been doing something, but the person to talk to there, I reckon, would be Neil Trundle, down at McLaren. And he was Ron Dennis's partner, Rondell. Mm. And then when they moved into the thing, Ron dominated everything and so... But, but Neil's still there. And he... he um, and I knew Neil well back in the 70s and the 80s. They had a Formula 2 team there. They had the F2 team, Rondell. And then they have moved to McLaren. And he may know. Now, I've got a funny feeling, but I can be... that they had a very long throttle throw on that car. And I can remember... Okay, so it's not doing that much. As much as possible. But Neil would know that. Yeah. Uh, so Neil Trundle, his name, was, he'd be through McLaren. And I'd, you can learn a lot from Neil... Uh, he still and I think when they had the Can Am McLaren M8s and things like that, again, he'll say, No, 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 you're wrong. But I don't know, if, I don't, he may not. And I think they had a really long throttle throw on those guys so that you could it, just uh, it was feed ramped in up. In, yeah. So I'm not sure what it will have been doing, something, you know, whether it had as much effect as it had. But just, just, you know, he didn't win the world championship three times. By doing that, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, not everywhere, but he could he could deal with it. You know, it was a bit ugly. Yeah, it was. It's
0: it's it's, it's one of those clips that you, you see and get cycled around, you know, and people. So are yeah, like, why why aren't we all doing this? Why are we not all doing yeah, this? Yeah, and, yeah. No, I think Jackie Stewart put it right. It was
2: one of his least attractive.
0: Yeah, trains. Yeah, 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 yeah. When you hear of a team, I say F one now of Red Bull or Mercedes. Um, we hear there's sort of I don't know some chat going around saying that the car's designed for Max for example do you think there's much like driver style and cars being designed for one driver versus another driver making it quicker and not quicker do you have any thoughts on well I'm that sure Max is?
2: will have said I don't want this nose to go in yeah I just wanted it you know. Um, and um, and that may be a bit too sudden for for Perez, uh, you know. But you could still do things in the car, you know, to dumb it down a little yeah. bit, to uh, make it a bit lazier going in. However, it may not be quite as quick. But um, yeah, they'll probably go with um, they'll probably go with what Max wants, and Max definitely seems to like the nose to go in, and I'll deal with it myself. Yeah. Uh, whereas Whereas Perez probably thinking, oh, I don't really want that. You know? yeah. and so, but it makes it a bit slower. So, yeah, I'd say there was a, they'll be listening to Max. They'll uh, be listening to Sergio as well to try and make something in, it yeah. comfortable within that framework. Of course they will. But um, it will be... They'll be looking after the number one. Um remember back when McLaren had um, James Hunt driving for them and Joachim and Mass was the teammate. And he came back York and Mass came back from Germany. I've been there for a week. With these fantastic new springs that they had some German manufactured cover that were gonna be lighter in the answer there. So he walked into the in the factory, I've oh, got some springs for my car and they just immediately grab the springs, they were fright they're going straight onto James's car, you know. <laughs> 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 they didn't care about York. <laughs> so uh, you know teams do look after the
0: the is, ones that make their cars go fast. Yeah. That is brutal. Yeah. Um, slow corners or fast corners, and I know, there's everywhere in between, harder to get right. Would you say one is more complicated than the other? Yeah, there's more things going on in a slow corner. You've got downshifts,
2: you've, you've, you've got uh, more brake pressure going on. So that's going to be done right. The rate of brake decrease is critical. Um, you've got to know whether it's better just to get direction changes no throttle, or whether 10% throttle is going to do it. 10% can be good, um, which won't necessarily accelerate the car, but it can stop it slowing mm. down. And uh, but yes, there's more more involved in slow corners. If you've got stability and you're reasonably brave, um, you know through where you go. If, you know, I can remember thinking, it, if this car was really frightening at one point, trying to get this corner flat, I thought, if I take this flat, uh, I'll, I'll kill myself, I'll die. And a lap later was coming around, I thought, if I can't take it flat, life's not worth living. <laughs> so I took it flat and I, I, I lost it.
1: Oh, <laughs> I didn't <okay>. hit anything.
2: <laughs> I was meant to hit something. <laughs> Oh, from that point, you bring it back, yeah, half a percent, you know, to ninety nine and a half percent. But so I can still rem- remember myself thinking that, you know, wow. and um, and that was the days where you know, can you take this corner flat, you know? Uh, and that was the measure of a racing driver, yeah. as distinct from someone who drove a racing car, which I, you know, plenty of people are in that category. So now, as you said before, it's not the End of the world, or uh, to to um, maybe just get through that really, really, really fast corner because it's going to put a bottle. So it does leave a, a good percentage of the time in these Mickey Mouse slow corners that, yeah. that go so slow that yes, the sponsors can read the side of the car. <laughs> you know, you you're not gonna have, the crowd can be a bit closer to the
0: Yeah. Do you have any for the, the listeners? out there, do you have any sort of like general things that you can sort of, general tips that you can sort of say to more like a, a bigger audience that's not specifically on driving smoothly, fast, mm. on tracks or anything? Well, firstly, uh,
2: always tell the car what's coming next. Don't surprise it. So therefore, whatever happens with a brake introduction there should be a minuscule introduction, tell the car what's coming, you know, with the brakes. Um, and then when it comes to the steering, always just a little guide, you know. So it's really a matter of always telling the car what's coming next is the first thing mm. you would say, you know. And then when you're driving on the road, you know, you, 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 you're stuck behind a van, you can't see the car in front, you're lying on the, the brake lights of the car in front. So I guess they'll come back just a little bit. And then you can often look at the guardrail on the right because usually you're sitting behind it in the fast lane or in the overtaking lane. Yeah. And you can see some shadows as to what's in front of him. You know, yeah. you can see two or three because that's the sunlight's right. So you're looking at that. You know he's not just going slow. He's got those cars in front. If you can see through the car in front of you, um, harder and harder with SUVs. Tints and whatnot, with, yeah. Yeah, you know, then always, you know, Take note of the, the, the brake lights of a car, three or four car lengths in front of you. You know that the car, three car lengths in front, will finally get their message. He'll brake. The guy behind him will brake even harder. You get that concertina effect and the whole thing comes to a yeah. halt. But always look you know, where you can, three or four car lengths.
0: Well, I normally wrap these up with, with five questions. And you're ready. So there have been no questions so far. Yeah, yeah, but these are, these are some this different ones. This is the uh, real one. Right? <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah.
0: Do you have a most memorable driving trip or journey? Um, I do. It was a good lesson. Oh, yeah, I had some great journeys, you
2: know, through Death Valley and going to sleep at, you know, leaving Las Vegas. I had to be in California the next day at Willow Springs and dozing off. I thought I'd drive through the night, you know, and finish testing in Vegas. i get about, I don't know, 30 miles into the as a highway and I'd stop and go to sleep i wake up about eight hours later or seven hours later with the engine still running and now I'm virtually out of gas okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, but um, no uh, uh, I used to go down to um, Navara just north of Milan um, have their uh, Formula 3 engines I used to go down sometimes with Stephen and Johansson. we'd go down together or, or we'd be there at the same time play tiddlywings or we waited for engines to be rebuilt mm. I got there one day, I had an Alfa Saloon, with the engine in the boot, and I told proudly told this guy at at uh, Petrazzani's Nova Motor, who built the Formula Three engines, Alfas, and all that stuff. I drove all the way from Calais to virtually Milan, and not one car overtook me, <laughs> except a man in a Citroen. DS-21. <laughs> and, and he said, this is back in the days when cars were different. Some cars were cruisers, some cars yeah. were, you know, you could zap up there but they ran out of breath and, yeah, they had personalities, yeah. character styles. And he said to me, "That he said, it doesn't matter where you go. It doesn't, you know what's coming here. It, it doesn't matter what you're driving. It doesn't matter how fast you think you're going. Someone somewhere will always pass you in a Citroen. <laughs> <laughs> and, and those cars still stayed different for a few years after that. And every now and then, you'd be going along, not thinking about anything, and you could just be in England. So Citroën would go. It's always crazy raise fast. Yeah, you know, you'd just sort of raise a grin every time. <laughs> yeah, it's right. So that stays with me. Nice. You know, yeah, yeah, the Citroën.
0: If, um, if you could only drive one sports car for the rest of your life, what would it be? For the rest of my life, it would be a Mazda MX5. Nice.
2: And, and why? because it's an analogue, pretty analogue. There's not a lot of electronics between you and the surface. It's... Um, and Ford don't make us sports car, otherwise yeah. it would be a Mustang. Uh, so uh, um, the, it's, uh, it's got a simplicity. It doesn't annoy people. You know, people wave Yeah, through. yeah, yeah. They wave back. you and know, passenger drivers wave to each other. Um, and... You go in and you have the hood down, you go like 70, and it feels like it's going pretty fast. It does. You don't really go any faster. So you're not annoying people, and you'll sit behind someone, pull them, behind, you know, a reasonable distance. But um, it's quite a therapeutic sports car. Uh, would you call it a sports car? Yeah. Yeah. Mazda MX-5. And it could be an earlier one, a Mark III. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, mean, I haven't driven one of the new ones. Uh, I suppose there. Is it's the same a, sort of same that sort of thing. thing is it okay? So I would say that until Ford build one, because they're my friends. Okay. And then I'll say, can we have something like that? Yeah. I don't know whether Jim Farley is the president of Ford. Will, will do that. He'll be say, what are you What are you talking about? Yeah, do you I don't think? want another
0: crossover, or Why oh, did
2: you? Yeah. <laughs> but a Mustang would be nice to her. Yeah.
0: But 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 makes yeah. one. Uh, what do you think is the most undervalued car at the moment? Do you think something should be something should be worth more?
2: Are you talking classic sense? Are you talking could be
0: classics or new or yeah, more like sort of pricing around? Is there something that you go? I think that seems cheap.
2: I'd like a Simca Vendette V eight.
0: I have no idea what that is, but I will Quite look right. it up. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I think it was about a nineteen sixty three bit like a Mark II Zaffir style of car, Vauxhall, with a little two-and-a-half-litre V8, and I think it was a Ford.
0: All right, yeah.
2: And um, a friend of ours in New Zealand who was a stock market man had one as a company car. And I thought, a V8, I think it's the ultimate car. Mm It would certainly be under... Well, it won't be worth very 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 much. Whether that's undervalued, it's probably not a good choice. The most undervalued car?
0: It's a really tricky question. I'm doing the MX5 again. Yeah. Because you can pick them up for a few thousand quid. Uh, you know, I mean. And have so much fun. So much fun. Uh, most interesting car to you at the moment could be from a technology point, could be, uh, I don't know, just piqued your interest.
2: I think a Vessel Vega.
0: Ooh. With a
2: 6.3 litre Chrysler.
0: Nice. I think that's an interesting car. They're pretty cool. Yeah. Don't see them very often. No, you, you <laughs> virtually won't see one or not. Um,
2: you know, I mean, I'll go back to cars that you just fell in love with. You know, um, the uh, you know the the uh, early Mustangs, you know, sixty-four, mm. uh, sixty-five Mustangs. And these are great cars, um, but they had these coach-buildery type companies, you know, like Fassler Vega. Yeah, French yeah. and these christ and I'm sure they were they were really dolled up and you know made to feel very expensive and yeah. that sort of stuff and so
0: I think just to look at yeah they, they are really cool looking things okay final question five car garage unlimited value what would you have
2: now it always used to be the notchback Mustang but the more I look at the 65 the more I look I'm rather liking the 67 Mustang with a 302 5 litre V8 in it. It was just a little bit rakish. Right. Yeah, so 67 Mustang hardtop uh, on is one. A, a Jaguar E type, 1961 probably, a 3.8. Um, a Mark II Jaguar. It's right. Very similar vintage, yeah. same, same engine, wire wheels on that. And a good cooling system. So there's three: the Mustang, the Jaguar, and that. What's the? What are the other two?
0: Is if is, you got a sort of daily driver or? Oh, one? I don't drive one on the road. Yeah, you got to drive one sort of day to day. It Could be anything, but yeah. The ST Puma. mm Hmm. St.
2: It's fast, but a real rocket ship. I mean, you can pass things.
0: Yeah. You know, in it. I've not driven one of them. They, have you driven one? Oh yeah, a lot. Is it, Is it quite a fun car? Yeah, and it's fast. Nice.
2: Um, you know, and it's real tech dog. Yeah. yeah. It surprises people. And, and that, that's fourth, and then that. you've got one more.
0: Would you have a track car, a race car, or anything like that?
2: No. No. Oh, well, well, a racing car to look at. Yeah. Not one that I wouldn't, one that I wouldn't drive. Yeah, yeah. I might drive it slowly sometimes, but I'd have it immaculate. And that'll be the, the 1964 Formula One Cooper.
0: That wraps it up. Yeah. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast.
2: Thank you for taking the trouble. It's been really so, nice. Sorry if it didn't get too boring. No, it's great. <laughs> it's great. I loved every
3: minute of it. Good. All right. Well, that's super. Thank you very much. For that.
1: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things.